Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. We're considering Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 28, and a prophesied shaking of earth and heaven in judgment. The word of God spoken on earth was the moral law, and breaking it brings consequences. But here's a sobering thought. The word God speaks in heaven is grace and good news in Jesus Christ. And those who defy grace will come under a consequence far more severe than those who merely break the moral law. And the Bible makes it very clear to us that those who are living on the earth at the time of Christ's return will have all heard the salvation, the gospel of salvation found in Jesus Christ. They'll all have been exposed to this wonderful, glorious message. And they represent, these individuals who will be alive at the time that Christ represents, represent what individuals who live even today, who hear this wonderful message but refuse it, what they're facing. The Lord Jesus, on this occasion, will judge those individuals on different grounds. Not by the moral law, but by the offer of the law of liberty and life and the offer of grace. And they'll be judged as those who have defied and turned away from the grace of God. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 7. You might want to go there. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 7, describes the the last broadcast of the gospel message in the history of its proclamation that's been going on since, well, since God sent out the prophets, but in particular since the apostles went out in obedience to Jesus Christ after he ascended into heaven and to all the earth. The great mission of the church will finally be concluded by a great kind of sense confirming expression of God's intent as God sends out this message to the ends of the earth before Jesus Christ returns to judge the earth. John writes, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. But if you read on, you'll find that there's no one who turns to God on this occasion. No one. Not one. You go to Revelation chapter 16, and you'll see the outbreak of judgments that God begins to roll out upon the earth at that time, and what you'll notice at least three different times, and I think you might find even more, is that the only response that heard is a continued hardness. There's a lack of repenting or turning to God. There's actually outright blasphemy against God. Now take your Bibles and go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 speaks of the essence of the judgment that will be expressed on those who are living on the earth when the Lord Jesus returns to bring His judgments. When the Lord Jesus will drop the dead and judge them according to their deeds and judge those who are existing on the earth according to this gospel message. Those who rejected that grace-filled offer of life and blessing through Jesus Christ freely given to them. And it's not a judgment, as I said, based upon here of moral law, but on the rejection of the rule of grace, the good news, the gospel news. That's what grace is. It's the good news of Christ in my place. 
And here's what it says at that time will take place. It speaks of that time when, quote, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. You see that in verse 7, the last part of verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. When Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Some will be judged only by the moral law they broke. Others, by the offer of grace they spurned. Let me ask you, which judgment do you think will be more terrible? Which one will be more awful? Horrific. The scriptures are very clear. To whom much is given, much is required. You read the words of the Lord Jesus as he tells his parables and he's warning Israel and he's warning those who are living in the light of his own presence. That is the light of his presence and the offer of his grace coming on their behalf to give them life has brought them under greater condemnation should they reject the light that was before them. What's the application to what we're reading? To what we're considering here? Our passage that we have before us teaches us that the judgments of the spoken law on the earth result in a shaking out of the earth. And they're still shaking out lives today. The law shakes out lives. It comes back upon them. It proves when they've broken it. The breaking of the moral law has consequences. But the finality of the rule and offer of grace will have its own and surprisingly greater judgment. For those who have received the offer of saving grace by faith have embraced it. There is blessing evermore in the presence of God. For those who defy that invitation of blessing and life found in saving grace, the judgment will bring at last a shaking that will not only shake earth only, but the heavens and the earth. There will be, the Bible says, as a result of the judgments poured out from heaven, where grace is being proclaimed, there will be a passing away of every trace of everyone and everything tainted by that rejection of that grace so that only those who've cast themselves on God's free gift of grace offered in the death and life of Jesus Christ on their behalf will remain with Him forever and ever and ever. It's an awesome thing. Our passage ends with this picture. The author of Hebrews is addressing the Jews. He's addressing these individuals who are, we're in this time of transition. We followed all the law that God gave us from the time of Sinai and all the different sacrifices that we were to make in order to appease or present before ourselves before God because we know we break the law. And now we believe that Jesus has come and he's the Messiah. But they're in this time of transition where they're thinking, maybe we'll go back to the law. Maybe we'll go back to the carrying out of these duties and these rules and we'll rest there because our hopes or our whole life has been groomed to rest in this law and following these rules as our manner and way of life. We'll turn away from Christ because the way of Christ doesn't leave us with the temple. It doesn't leave us with all the the regalia of the religious system that's in place in Jerusalem and we're tempted to go back. The author is writing those who are tempted to turn away from Jesus Christ and the simplicity of his faith in him. He says this, 
Our whole history says do not spurn the law of God or you will suffer the consequence. Now know that the God who pronounced the law for you on earth proclaims grace for you in heaven. And if spurning the law meant our shaking out here on earth, what will happen if you spurn His grace? The author is saying to those who are hesitating between returning to the laws of Judaism and away from their initial faith in Christ, Jesus, Jesus would bring you into an immovable kingdom that will never be shaken, so let us have grace instead of the law. He's saying those who have committed themselves to Christ as the source of eternal life, these encouraging words, you're receiving an unshakable kingdom through the work of Jesus Christ, so let's have grace. Let's have grace. The Old Testament said, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And the New Testament says, fear Him still. Let us have grace. And with it, the pleasing reverence of a good and godly fear of this all-powerful God. The author concludes his arguments primarily in the book of Hebrews by saying, our God is a consuming fire. In other words, he's saying God cannot be domesticated. God cannot be tamed. You can't tamp down your understanding of who God is. You can't say that you can make light of God or make God someone who will respond to your whims and your own desires. His grace is an invitation to come and enjoy Him by living before Him and living for Him and living in Him and living with Him in gladness and joy forever. You refuse that gracious offer and the consequence will shake the universe. But you receive it. You live in it. You accept it. And eternity will resound with your joy and with His joy as well. Let us have grace. Let's bow our heads. Does it make sense to us? Can we see that all through this letter, the author is offering up Jesus as an answer for the condemnation of the law? Offering up freely and graciously God come to earth, living among us, bearing in our place our sins, offering us an escape from His judgment, Offering us entrance into his very house and all of his riches and all of his blessing. And this freely and not of works at all, but by simple belief and faith in him. And oh, the riches, oh, the untold riches in store. Gracious outpouring in store for those who receive it. God who has done all this to overrule the claim of the law against us in our sins and leave the law in place still by bearing the brunt of its condemnation himself but what is left what is left if you refuse it if you say no I'm going to live by the law I'm going to make it my own way I'm going to do it my own route I'm going to turn aside from what God offers. I'm going to gain it in my own fashion. I'm going to do it my way. What remains? But the judgment of such riches spurned, such indignation, such universal eternal indignation from the spurning of such 
universal, eternal expressions of condescension and love and grace. So here we are, O oh God. We want grace. We want to earn nothing of ourselves. We want to claim nothing by our actions. We want to prove nothing by our duties. We want to be owned by grace. We don't want to own you by buying you with a good deed. Worthless. Worthless. We want to be owned by you by being purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let grace rule all. Let our voice be heard with the voices of praise in heaven. And may it reverberate to such an extent that it would let, oh, let the law shake out its consequences. But let us be found living and abiding in the unshakable kingdom of your grace. And oh God, at the same time, place within us a sense of urgency and caution and warning for those who, those who take lightly what you have done. We pray, oh God, they might still be stricken with a sense of the terror and fearfulness of a holy God who loves them still. We ask it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.